Before we officially start, I must give a special shout out to the boys over at Recovery. Much like myself and the lads, Chris and Ian are a couple of rugby fanatics like we all are. They've created various products with recovery in mind based around natural CBD remedies. Head over to their Instagram page or website and use the code FREEBLOKES, that's the number three, followed by the word BLOKES, 10% off of their natural products and feel the benefit today. Good afternoon, good morning and good evening from wherever you are watching or listening from. My name is Jamie Robinson and welcome to episode 110 of Three Blocks and the Rugby League podcast. As always, I'm joined by Callum Wood, but unfortunately we're missing Jedin Moscodad today as he's currently recovering at home from COVID-19. Best of luck to you, Jedin, and, and uh, recover strongly from that one, mate. Another week and another interview at the back end of the season, but this time we have been blessed with one of the most... Um, influential names in the past year or so. Everybody's names has is, is got him on his lips at the minute, um, especially going into playoff season. It's our pleasure to welcome one of the fastest rising stars in rugby league and St. Ellen's superstar, Jack Wellsby. How are you doing, Jack? You all right, mate? Yeah, I'm good, mate. Happy to be on and uh, looking forward to a good chat. Excellent stuff, mate. Just before we start, I was chatting to Joe Philbin last week. I don't know if you caught that one. And he was telling us he's, a, he's kind of a Leicester slash Liverpool fan in terms of football. But you've just told us you're a Wigan Athletic fan, mate. How did that start out? Obviously, I'd say they're doing it tough at the minute, but I think they're top of the league, aren't they? Yeah, we're flying at the minute. Just had a uh, back up, on the back of a 4 one minute Accrington. So, yeah, no, I've always kept an eye on him being a Wigan lad, but uh, now that I play rugby more professional, I've, I've taken a back seat watching that consistently and uh, sort of fallen in love with, with the Latics over the last couple of years. And Obviously, they've been through a tough time, but like you said, it seems to be coming good now. So, hopefully, we're on the right track. Are they, are they going to be going up this year, mate? Is it going to be looking more positive? It has, to be honest. Uh, obviously, last year we was with COVID. We couldn't get any fans there. And we was in administration. We'd lost our owners and stuff. So, it was on a downward spiral. But uh, positive new owners coming who's sort of reconnected the town with the club. And we've made some good signings from, from like Sunderland and Portsmouth who are up there. So, yeah, like like, like I said, we're 16 points now. Joining up, up top with Sunderland and... With any luck, uh, we can continue that on into getting back into the championship. Excellent stuff, mate. Let's let's put the football chat to the side. You were just mentioning as well, you're a bit of a rugby league nut. You love everything rugby league. You've listened to a few of our podcasters normally. What what got you into rugby league growing up? Uh, to be honest, like being from Wigan, it's just something that you always go around. Um, everywhere you turn, there's a rugby team and or a rugby fan. So it was almost impossible for me to miss it. But mainly me... Um, my dad and my granddad were massive rugby fans growing up, massive Wigan fans, and uh, they sort of just got me involved. And my next door neighbour took me down to Shevington Sharks, and that's where I started. Tell us about Shevington, mate. Obviously, me and uh, well, I, I'm Yorkshire. Wood is actually down south, so I don't know too much about Shevington. Is it kind of a club that produces a lot of stars? Uh, I'd like you're probably more likely to know the names of Jude's and Pats. And in along them lines, they seem to get get the higher end of the production. But um, no, Shevington's a real good good little side. Um, I don't know who you could compare them to up in in Wakey and stuff like that. But they do produce their own special talents that come through. I know Sam Alsall and Yamila who uh, are getting the chance this year at Wigan from Shevington, and I grew up playing with Sam mainly. So yeah, they do pr- produce a fair few and. I think think all clubs do a really good job nowadays of just getting team uh, young players into professional environments. Were you at Shevington long, mate? Yeah, I did uh, up to around. I went when I went to high school. I sort of left there, went down to Blackbrook and and continued there, where I got picked up by Saints and 
but I enjoyed my time at Shevington. Uh, almost found my love for for the game there. Obviously, I enjoyed watching beforehand, but ever since I went down there, rugby was all I cared about, and uh, yeah, just just really enjoyed what I was doing down there, especially with mates that I've got there. I've got mates for life now, so uh, yeah. I mean, Blackbrook is is pretty much known as the number one amateur club in St Helens, if not number one. They're up there. I think I think James Graham came from Blackbrook as well. If I'm if I might be right, I might be totally wrong with that one. But it's, it's what took you from Wigan over to St Helens, man. That's a big jump even at amateur level. Yeah, well, I was obviously transitioning to high school and from primary to high school. I thought I was falling out with it. I wanted to try something new. Um, I went doing a bit of boxing, a bit of football here, there and everywhere. And I just ended up meeting, by chance, the, the coach at Blackbrook. Uh, his lad went boxing with us and he just said, come over here if you have a fancy training session. Um, they was transitioning into two teams, like a, a Blues and a Royals. Um, and they needed a couple extra numbers. So I just went there and obviously kicked on and really enjoyed what was happening up there. Who were kind of the lads, you, you know, the, the players you looked up to as a youngster? Obviously, you, you've grown up in the kind of uh, early noughties and, and, and tens and whatnot. Who were the kind of lads you, you looked up to at that point? Uh, my earliest memories really are probably, I remember Trent Barrett signing for Wigan when they was going through a tough time when Brian Noble was in charge. And I always remember the game at Oddsall where it was in the playoffs and it was like something ridiculous, like 30 points to six to Bradford and, Pat Richards slotted a drop, his first ever career drop goal to take us 31 30 up. And uh, I'd actually gone to bed. My dad was up, still, still up watching it. And I kind of just remember him bouncing up and down, coming, waking me up and running down and seeing that we turned it around after that ridiculous deficit. So uh, Trent Barrett. And then for me, really, the, the main person I remember was Sam Tompkins in his first stint at Wigan. He was absolutely electric. He's just an absolute maverick on the ball, just backed himself and everything. And he sort of just push the team I wouldn't say but obviously there was silver stars there that you had, I'd like to say Paul Deacon came back and stuff like that but Sam was always the starlet of the team and uh, we can get back to back to the glory days really Doing a bit of digging earlier mate and if I read it rightly you, your mum's a St Ellen's fan and your dad and granddad are Wigan fans if that's correct sir what's that kind of like as a dynamic growing up and are they all three of them kind of hardcore fans of them or uh, me me Mum, not so much. She just, I think she just jumped on the back of Saints because when she got with my daddy, he liked Wigan, he liked winding her up. Uh, she liked winding him up. But my granddad was a season ticket holder for as long as, well, as long as I've been alive and further back. And my dad was as well. He went following him everywhere until I was born. And um, no, yeah, they're two massive Wigan fans. And uh, I think I've persuaded my dad more so now. Now he's more just of a me fan, he says. So, uh, just like seeing me do well. But uh, yeah, no, it was. They, they were big fans. But that did take a bit of persuading then. And did they kind of always want you to get into rugby league? Did either of them play when they were younger or anything? No, I'd, to be honest, I don't think my dad or my granddad really played um, at any sort of level, maybe at school or an odd game on a Sunday, but like they never did anything out the ordinary to any other kid. Um, but like I said, they were always massive Wigan fans and it was always on the telly, so... Uh, like I said before, if you're in Wigan, you're gonna you're gonna get exposed to rugby league in some way. And my way was through my dad and my granddad, and I just ended up wanting to play after watching it on the telly. Absolutely, yeah. And you said you kind of got to Blackbrook at sort of under twelves kind of level, and you tried a few different sports before that boxing and whatnot. So when does it kind of click with you that rugby league is kind of the path you want to go down, or your main sort of passion? 
it was always something I always wanted to do. I always wanted when we used to get asked at school and stuff like that, what what you're going to be when you're older is always, oh, I'm just going to play rugby. Um, I was I was good at school. I, I got my head down and I got what I needed out of it. But um, my, my true love was that rugby. Um, even though there's a, there's, as every professional will have had, there's a couple of bumpy paths and bumps in the road. But I always knew that if, if I stuck my mind to it, um, that I could get somewhere with it. And thankfully it's worked out. Yeah, and Saints kind of come calling and get you as part of the setup in around about 2014. So, you know, you're about 13 years old. So, what's that kind of like when, you know, it's mentioned to you and your family that kind of Saints are looking at you and they want you to be a part of the club? Yeah, uh, obviously it's massive. Um, it's something you dream of. Um, at, at that stage, our team was really good at Blackbrook. So, to even be thought of at Saints was massive. Um, we've got a few players that are there with me now. and that grew up, grew up playing with me at Blackbrook. Um, so we all signed on the scholarship. A few went to Wigan, a few went to Warrington, here, there and everywhere, really. But um, for me, it was always going to be Saints um, after after what I'd seen seen of the club and what produ- what a production line they've got with the likes of Johnny and Robes and people like that coming through their setup. Um, it was always the right way to go for me. What's it kind of like when you, you first get into that setup? But, you know, one of the biggest rugby league clubs around and kind of juggling that with your school as well and you're still such a, a mega young age as well. Yeah, it's difficult. Um, obviously, I prioritise rugby over everything. Uh, well, I probably won't say obviously, but that's what I did, right or wrong. Um, but no, it's, it's totally different to your, your average day at an amateur club. With, when you come from Blackbrook and that, you, you know what it's going to be like almost they do introduce you before you start there it's not like you're off your own back but you're away from all the first team players you train on on your own with your age and they, they make it very clear to you that this is this is an opportunity but you've got to make it make it work yourself so there was no ill illusion that we was going to do something out everyone was going to do it um but no they do give you the right chance and they have all the proper equipment and everything it's, it's perfect for any young player how does St. Helens do it, mate? Because, you know, I'm, I'm a Wakefield fan through and through, and we started bringing through some younger lads through the years. But St. Helens, since I've known, probably even before I was born, have just brought through floods of academy players. What what do you see playing there and coming through the system where the, you just get this this production line? To be honest, mate, I'm, I'm not too sure. Um, whether it's the facilities or anything like that, I don't, I don't personally know. I just know once you're there, you've just... You just can feel what it means to be at that club and how important it is for everyone. Um, from being a scholarship all the way up to the first team, you've got you've got to be on. And I think everyone who signs there knows that. And if you're not if you're not on, you, you, you're not going to be there for much longer. So it's almost a mindset thing. And like you said, they they give the young players a lot of chances. Um, obviously, we just played Salford the following week and had three debutants, and you don't you. You can't improve unless you get exposed to Super League level. So when you get to that level, you need to be playing, whether it be at Saints or loaned out or something. But we're very good at giving giving young lads opportunities and it's just about taking them when they come along. Linking to that, mate, obviously taking your chances as a young lad coming through the system at a club like St. Helens, do they have a setup for kind of psychological input and to really get you mentally tough for, for kind of a, a Super League level? Yeah, but I, I don't, They'll prep you for everything like academically and they help you along with stuff like that. But 
like I said, there's nothing better than exposure to Super League level. Um, there's no way they can prepare you for going out at, at Cass or at Wakey where the fans are stood right on top of you, especially if you're a winger. Um, but yeah, you have to just almost get exposed to it. And like I said, Saints are the best at doing that. We've had kids come in and said, made the debuts at, at Salford and then we've had kids go out on loan all year. Um, I, don't, I obviously don't keep track of what other clubs are doing, but I know that we do our best for our youngsters. What grounds do you like playing at, mate? Do you like them cast and working environments? Uh, yeah. Uh, I've only ever had one first-team experience at cast, really, and it weren't a pleasant one. We got battered before lockdown. <laughs> but uh, at Wakey, I was... My first ever involvement was at Wakey when I was 19th man, warmed up. Um, the sheds aren't the greatest, but the atmospheres is always pretty special. So, And they always they always give us a tough game as well. So, uh, yeah, it's it's... I like them old school grounds, but my favourite's got to be, I'd probably say the Alleywell Jones, to be honest. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I always felt as though that's a great mix between the old and the new, isn't it? And I feel like Langtree Park's quite similar as well, mate. Yeah, I think the standing terraces help a lot with, with the atmospheres there. Um, but like I said, I've had some good good experiences at the Alleywell Jones and it's not so far away from St. So we always get good travelling support, whether it be on a Thursday night or anything along them lines are always out there chanting and that's what rugby league's about really isn't it definitely mate coming, coming through the ranks and even even in the first team these days you, you're, you're kind of used as a utility player sometimes you're playing like a, a various amount of positions coming through as you know 12, 13, 14, 15 year old what was your primary position what did you enjoy playing uh, I did a lot of stand, stand off at Blackbrook as well as fullback um, and that's pretty much where I've really stayed Uh as a kid, I just wanted to get the ball and just whether it just be a run or anything along them lines. So that's why I just wanted to get in, get in and get my hands on the ball and get as many involvements as I could. Um, it's been pretty similar at Saints, to be honest. Um, I've only ever really played centre wing or in the middle at, at first team. Um, but I think playing at standoff and fullback, it gives you the understanding of all the other positions, what you want from them. So I know what I'd want. Being a standoff, I'd know what I want for my centre now and vice versa. Being at centre, I know what Johnny wants off me. And uh, yeah, I think it's helped me a lot, really, being having that utility value. Um, I just, every time a young lad comes up and said, don't nail yourself on a one position, make sure you can do all the other skills. And it gives you more shots, really. Um, and that, that, that's where my shots have come, really. I've not had one position ever in first team level. I've always been here, there, and everywhere. But I think that's the way you've got to be to get into a team like Saints at the minute. Have you got a long-term vision, mate, to, to try and nail down that position in maybe three or four years' time? Uh, well, for the last two years, I've not. I've just wanted to get my, my picture in the frame, really, and just get on the pitch and play week in, week out. Um, my priority goal this year was to play as many games as possible, and I've played every single one so far, so I've done that. But like you said, I've, realistically, I've got to nail one down in the coming, coming years, and hopefully I get my opportunity to do that next year just looking back at those sort of early years when you're part of the scholarship set you know 2014 15 16 type thing who are you sort of looking up to within the club then and I guess who are your kind of mentors and people you're learning off at that age uh, I think for, for everyone coming through at Saints you've just got to look at Robes he's just the absolute pinnacle of rugby league he's done it for 18 years now and going on again next year uh, there's no better role model to have than James Roby. Not just what he how he plays, it's just what he does off the field. He's the ultimate professional. 
the, an absolute legend of a bloke as well. Um, never bats an eyelid at anyone. And yeah, he, he's just Mr. St. Helens, really. And But then you've got the likes of Johnny, who's had adversity throughout his career with his ACLs and his injuries. The likes of Tommy Makinson's had his first year of injuries and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, the, the, the list goes on, really. We're a team full of internationals. And when you're coming up, you can pick and product people's games all you like and take what you need from it. Some list of names you've just rattled off and you kind of get to rub shoulders with day to day. What sort of uh, age or sort of year is it you kind of get a bit of first team exposure? Or, you know, at 13, 14, 15, you get to kind of watch sessions or kind of speak to any of the first team at that age? You sort of, it's, I won't say you get to watch the sessions, but you sort of like brush shoulders with them when they're finishing and you're going on. Obviously, at scholarship level, you're training at night and they're through the day, so you don't really see them. And then at academy, sometimes you get called up. So probably around 17, you first start to train with them. Uh, I made my debut in my first year of academy, so I'd have been 17, going on 18. Uh, and they call, call up the young lads when they need positions. So again, another reason why being able to play every position was so important for me was that whether they needed a winger, a centre, an half-back or a full-back, I, I, I would be the one to get called up and go and do that. So, uh, yeah, around 16, 17 is when you first get exposed to them properly. And I think the most important thing about that is just getting to know them all. But it's not really di- it wasn't really very difficult with how, how they all approached me and everything. They were all just like, like, I was just one of them straight away and just took me under the wing and... Like I said, you just got to pick and probe at their games and take what you can away from them. Would you say Saints is really good then for that sort of club ethos and you know, players without egos and whatnot? Yeah, hundred percent. There's no egos in our squad, and I think that's a key key role to what we've we've had over the last four or five years, however long it may have been. We've been going after silverware. Um, there's there's no standout players in any positions really. Everyone's battling for a spot, and we just all together really it's more of a it's more of a group effort than a, a set of individuals um, obviously we've got individuals that can do special things but um, without that unity I think it's it's tough to go on and win silver and you mentioned kind of coming into the, the academy setup and playing the sort of 90 so the two years before you 2016 had kind of a, a mega year they won 20 out of 20 uh, lost to Wigan in the final 2017 the academy struggled a bit more I think the scholarship side did as well but at the end of 2017, you're part of the Academy's successful tour to Australia. So tell us a bit about that, kind of getting the call up for that and the experience as a whole, getting to go down to Oz as such a young lad and playing a bit of rugby down there. Yeah, I think that's one of the eye-catching things that Saints offer as an academy, uh, as a scholarship is if you get through them two years of a scholar and get, get promoted up into the Academy, you get to go to Australia and it's not just about the rugby over there. It moulds you as a, as a human being. You've got to live in bunk beds with 30 other lads and wash next to each other and iron your own clothes and make your own food every morning. So it's something that obviously is tough being on the other side of other side of the world away from your mum and dad for the first time like I was. But like I said, it, it moulds you into the human that you are and, and what the club want from you. Uh, you. You learn your morals and stuff there and it's, it's really exciting as well, to be fair. You do some stuff that you're never going to do ever again, like walking the bridge and going scuba diving, whitewater rafting. So, yeah, it's pretty special. But um, at the end of the day, it was a it was a tour. It wasn't a holiday. So we had four really tough games, which we did very well in, to be fair. I don't think many of the lads were expecting us to do so well after 
the uh, academy and scholarship seasons we'd had, but uh, it pushed us in the right direction for the season coming up. I've still not learned how to do half of those things you just mentioned there, so fair play to you. Uh, is that is that all kind of a bit of a watershed moment for you then, you know, on and off the field of, you know, what rugby league can be and I guess also what life can be as well? Yeah, definitely. Um, more in rugby terms, like I said, we hadn't had a good scholarship year, me personally, and maybe I was asking questions of myself and what where I was going with my rugby career. Obviously, I did well enough to get an academy contract, but that that was my first real academy games in Australia, and I ended up getting player of the player of the tour over there, wrote to by the, the staff. So I must have done something right to get that over there, and yeah. As a as a human being, like I said, you just you just do all the stuff that you don't have to do at home when you're that age. Uh, your mum babies you, and you you don't get babied by Derek or uh, Chizzy or anyone along them lines in the academy setup when you're there. Yeah, it's really it's a, kind of a, a bit of a, a coming of age tour for you, weren't it? And you mentioned those results there, but got a decent win against the Bulldogs, Central Coast, beat South Sydney Rabbitohs, and lost out to Penrith on a bit of a tight one as well, but. That kind of when you start getting noticed a bit more off the back of that toy, scored a few tries out there as well, didn't you? Yeah, no, like I said, I, I had a really good tour. Um, obviously, it was the, the Penrith game was the only negative that came out of the rugby, but we, we were really competitive in that game as well, from what I can remember. Uh, but yeah, it was more of a, a learning curve for us all that last game, and I'm, I'm glad it came at the end instead of at the start. Um, Obviously, we got a bit of momentum, picked up three good wins and we all kicked on and just enjoyed the tour more than anything. I think that's the priority for, for everyone as well as the rugby is just, just enjoying it. It's, like I said, once-in-a-lifetime once opportunity. I don't know if you watch much NRL, Jack, but in um, in the NRL, they have you have to get special dispensation to have a player make their first-grade debut if they're under the age of 18. Obviously, if you kind of if you're good enough, you're old enough over here. And I think you said you made your debut at 17. Do you think you were you were ready at that point to, to be making first team games? Um, I think it's a tough question, really. I, I think, like you said, I know I know about that rule about being being 18 in Australia. I always remember uh, Tessie New making his debut for Tonga Tonga's international team before he did, and then. Played in an NRL game because he was only seventeen, and the rules don't apply at that level. Um, but uh, no, I don't know. It's it's. I I felt I was ready. Um, Justin obviously must have felt like I was ready, even though it was only ten minutes on the back of the game where we'd already won against all. Um, but uh, no, I think I think like I said, if you if you're strong enough and fit enough and you're doing the right things on and off the pitch, then I don't see why you shouldn't be able to get your shot earlier than eighteen. There was rumours they were going to even change it to 21 at one point, mate. I think that's probably a bit of a... That's a big jump, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Like, there's so many youngsters in the NRL now that have been on the Australian school boys tour that we played against them and they're up there ripping it up and it just shows that, like, they've been biting at the bit for, for years now. And uh, I just think of the likes of, like, Bradman Best and S Stephen Crichton all played in that school boys team as well as Tessie Neu. Um, as the list goes on, to be honest, there's loads of them and they're all smashing it now. Uh, so, yeah, it's good to watch and I love watching the NRL. Incredible stuff, mate. Um, let's talk about that first game, actually, as well, mate. Whole, whole FC, 38-12 win. 
You mentioned obviously you came off the bench with ten minutes to go. There wasn't um, much of a game left to play, but what what do you remember about being called up to that and, and being on the bench and coming on? Yeah, I was just it's just mad really looking back on it. I just I'd done about five or six sessions with the first team, uh, just running about. Um, but obviously, I had a really good season in the academy. Um, we was sat second in the table, second or third. Uh, been playing halfback predominantly, um, and I was just really enjoying my rugby and one day halfway through the day I was going to the gym on my own because I sort of quit college because I knew I was signing full time so I was just going to the gym and Justin rang me and said oh listen you're going to be playing this week you're just going to be on the bench and that were it he just, just straight in he just said you're going to be playing uh, you're going to be on the bench and I was like uh, 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 all right yeah yeah and he just hung up the phone uh, so I was straight in straight in the firing line and yeah, had to sing my song and stuff like that. I probably remember all the worst bits now. Uh, singing my song, getting embarrassed in front of all the lads at 17, hardly spoken to any of them and getting thrown on. But it's, like I said, it's valuable experience and uh, there's nothing better than exposure. You know what question I'm going to ask next, mate? What what song were it? <laughs> probably the worst thing I've ever had to do in my life. Is, I just sung about five seconds of uh, firework by Katy Perry and all they all set off laughing uh, went bright red ran off but thankfully uh, I debuted with uh, James Bentley uh, and he, he sung 18 by Ed Sheeran which was somehow worse than mine so uh, I got I got off slightly uh, a little bit light it's alright because Woody's going to do a rendition of it now actually so <laughs> not, mate. everyone will be tuning out <laughs> <laughs> Um, what do you think of that then kind of it and you know bedding in initiation type things do you think they're a bit of a hindrance or a bit old school or, or do you quite enjoy kind of uh, that bonding sessions well I didn't enjoy it at the time but now every time someone else makes a debut all the lads manage to find a way whether they're injured or not onto the field after the captain's run session to listen to him uh, we've had some good ones over the over the short term that I've been there uh, and I think there is still a place for some of that old school old school even in training in the way you train and stuff like that, we certainly still have a bit of it. Um, but I think, like you said, some of it died, has died out the game in, in the modern modern game. But I think uh, it's good crap for all the lads. And once you've done it, you're done then, aren't you? So it's not too bad. Exactly. Right. I think as long as you live by that mentality of we would never tell you to do something we haven't already done, then I think it's all right in it, I guess, especially just team songs and stuff like that as well. Yeah, definitely. It's funny as well when it's some some young lad coming up and dead shy like I was. I bet they, are, they all had a right laugh in the changing rooms after that. <laughs> Looking at that team, mate, I've got the starting 17 in front of me. 12 of the lads in that starting 17 in your debut were Saints products as well. So once again, just, just tuning back off the fact of what you were saying, just, just incredible numbers week in, week out. And I imagine it's similar every single week. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, like I said before, I named Robes, Johnny. They're, they're all, all come through the academy. Um, I think, I, I don't know what the percentage of our squad is that has come through the academy, but I know it's pretty pretty high up there with, um, with the rest of the league. Um, it's pretty pretty impressive, really. I think when I made my debut, there was there was a post about that because I remember walking around with Riggs and then posting about it saying, oh, 12 of this and that, but yeah, it's, it's not stopped, has it, really? We've still got young players coming through like Lewis Dodd and uh, John Benison making his debut this week who are all really, really special talents. So hopefully it, it carries on and I can't see why it won't. 
Definitely so, mate. Is, is the kind of a buddy system you have there? You know, if someone else is coming up, do you, does someone kind of not get assigned, but, you know, oh, like, look out for this lad, you know, have a chat with him, or is it just kind of embedded in everyone that you're just going to make everyone else at home? Yeah, I think it's, it's, it's more passed down, really, because when I came up, everyone was, like, as good as they could have been with me. So now they come up and I'm the, I want to be as good as I can with them. I, I don't think there's any sort of like I reckon in some clubs you might get a bit like oh if if he's better than me then I'm not speaking to him or do you know what I mean like he's in my position I'll just stay away from him I don't think there's any of that everyone wants everyone to do really well and we all know that healthy competition is a good competition at the end of the day if someone's biting at your heels you're going to play your best rugby uh, you're going to get the best out of each other and very rarely does a team go same 17 every year and then go on get to finals and win it don't happen. You have a 30-man squad for a reason and they're all going to play at some point. Well, it's just an Albrook like as a person, mate. Obviously, he's a world-class coach and he's and he's making strides at Gold Coast at the minute, mate. But what, what were you like for a young lad like you coming through? Awesome, really, mate. He was he was quiet, he was quiet when you first come up, and I think that's the best way to be. Don't get too involved, and but obviously he kept a, a very close eye on the academy games and uh, made sure we was all doing things in order and doing the way that Saints do things. Obviously, he had a massive helping hand in that with Derek Trainer. Uh, been at the club for years now, and like you said, been at the art of of all the production that Saints have done. But uh, yeah, he obviously kept a close eye on the academy. Was very interested in what we was all doing, and like he handed out so many debuts to so many young lads. Really, when we, when I was there, he was just awesome. Mentioned kind of some of the younger lads coming through now this year, especially and even younger than yourself. So, have you started to take on a, a bit of a mentoring role for any of the academy lads already? Even at, you know, only twenty years old yourself, and you played over fifty games for Saints at this point. Yeah, no, I, I think it's. I'm still like in that transition phase myself, really, of becoming like an established first team player. This is my first proper full season uh, where I've played every game, uh, but. Like you said, obviously, I know what it was like coming up. It's scary and they might be a bit more confident than me, like Lewis Dodd. I don't think he took much mentoring. Um, but then you've got the likes of like young John Benison, who's just made his debut. Uh, Lewis Baxter, who's going to be joining up with us. Um, two kids that are very talented, but might be a bit quiet around the first team. So the more I speak to them, the more impact I can give them on training and stuff. I hope it's for the better, really. Are you someone who kind of enjoys that bit of extra responsibility and uh, you know being able to talk to people and make a voice yourself at training and games and that then? Yeah, more so now that I'm like I said, I'm more established in the team. I've I've shown my worth really and got got more games under my belt now. Um, but like I said, everyone's the same. No one, there's no one that's left out or no young kid that's like shy and quiet that stays away from everyone. Everyone if one one in all in almost if we're all going doing something everyone's invited and stuff like that so uh, the, there's no clicks there's no nothing like that we're all like I said and it goes a long way to winning things that uh, that that team team spirit Just on that I know that the women's team's been really successful over the kind of last few years as well so is there a connection but you know it's kind of one club between the men's and women's teams you kind of have, have much crossover with them in any socials or training bits or whatever it's been hard, really, because like the women's team have only been about for around two years now. And obviously with COVID and stuff like that, they're all working full-time jobs um, outside of rugby, whereas this is our sole job. Um, 
So we've not really had any very much communication with them other than the bus ride, really, when we won at Wembley, where they won as well. So that was a big day for the club. And obviously we want to see everyone who's involved at Saints do really well. And the women are smashing it at the minute, just seeing a big off the back of a big win against Wigan to secure the league leaders going into the playoffs. It's a massive achievement. And I think they're going for the treble now, aren't they? So uh, it's, it's really good to see. And it's great for the sport, how, how well the women's and the wheelchair game is doing. Yeah, it's really great that you're kind of behind both so much as well. We're obviously massive advocates of the women's game. We've had several of the, the Saints women's on, so it's kind of really great to hear that from you. Yeah, no, like I said, mate, it was great to see the, the wheelchair game on thingy on, on Sky the other day. I caught glimpses of it and it just shows how much it means to everyone who's involved in the wheelchair game. Um, great result for, for Leeds in the end and it was just good to watch. Love it, mate. Big fan of that. And, and uh, flip-flopping back on, on yourself a bit then and back to 2018. You mentioned a, a load of the kind of Aussie schoolboys guys that you played against and who are playing NRL now, but you got a 2-0 series win over them over here. One at Lee and one at Headley. Bagged yourself a double in the second game, so... What are your kind of memories of, of those two matches and obviously getting a, a big whitewash over your, your Aussie counterparts? Yeah, I think one of the standout things for me from that from them two games was the emphasis of winning them two games. I remember going to England Youth as a, as a kid at 16 and it was like, oh, we'll roll this team out this week and then this team next week. It, it was completely opposite academy level. When we heard we was playing the school boys, it was like, right, we're, we're going to go after this properly and there's there's not going to be any holding back or anything in training and stuff. And everyone was fighting for for a spot, really. And I think that's the first time like a place was under siege, really, in my career. Um, you weren't guaranteed a game, whereas at Academy, I was almost always guaranteed a game. Scholarship, you was always going to play. But that was like, if, you, if you're not training well and you're not, like showing what you what's desired on the pitch, um, you're not going to play. And I think a few of the lads found that out, found out the hard way. Um, but obviously the results were were, were world class. Um, sometimes the schoolboys get dismayed a bit and said, "Oh, it's not the proper team." But like I said, that I reckon every, Jason Saab, Star Tower, I could literally name all of them. Tom Deard and the halfbacks at North Queensland, they they all played. They're all playing NRL now. So it just shows how good our squad really was. Yeah, I had a skim through the lineups earlier. Like you say, nearly the whole kind of Oz back line have cracked or are cracking the NRL now. In the, the England side as well, you know, yourself, Harry Newman, in senior, Harry Smith, Morgan Smithies, and a load of others as well. So that's a hell of an intake for both the England and our side that year. Yeah, yeah, I think it's it's mad really when you look at our team as well. Um, I think near 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 enough the whole squad never mind just to start in 17 have gone on to make their debuts um which is a credit to to both both countries and what they're picking out and how it's going for each of them i mean like i don't think it's very often that we're going to see that again in, in the next coming years of like a full 17 man squad almost making the debuts the year after yeah, it's great to see so much talent coming through, Jack. Coming coming on to 2019, your, your second full season in uh, in Super League, you played 11 games with three tries, spread out through, once again, five different positions you played in, maybe even a couple more as well. A real newsworthy year for St. Helens. Um, they won the League Leader's Shield, they lost the Challenge Cup final, the top try scorer and top point scorer from St. Helens, and eventually they went on to win the Grand Final against Salford. 
what do you remember about that year and being part of, of, of the squad in that year as well? Yeah, no, 2019 was special. Um, I think, obviously, we lost Ben Barber from 2018 and brought in Lachlan Coote and there was obviously a lot of points lost there, but a lot of points gained in the kicking compartment. Um, and Cootie's been probably one of the signings of, of the last 20 years for Saints recently with what he's done. He's not only his, his performances, but his input and leadership off the field uh, probably outweighs what Benny did in that sense. Um, I mean, we lost a lot of tries from what Benny brought us, but we gained other things in other aspects. And then the signing of Kevy and that just almost not cemented us as as favourites, but really put us up there. And obviously it was all about cracking that final little bit. We got to semi-finals and lost, and then we got to Wembley and lost. Uh, so there was, a, there was like, with Justin leaving at the end of the year, there was a lot of significance put on that final and the semi-final in front of it. And we went to smash Wigan at our place, put a real statement out, and then managed to get the job done over Salford. So overall, it was a pretty special year. Um, and I think it, it was more more than deserved, to be honest, with the amount of work that the lads and Justin had put in. Obviously, I was on the fringes, but you could just see that, that something special was building and it's carried on. Was there a part of you that were a little bit gutted that you didn't make them match their squads for the finals? Yeah, obviously, but I didn't expect to. I was still playing a lot of academy rugby. We Our academy team actually reached the grand final against Wigan in that year and unfortunately lost. But um, like I said, the, our team's so full of internationals and stars from overseas that just to even have got 11 games in that year was special for myself. And like I said, like just to be involved in a team like St. Helens at this time is just special for myself and my career going forward. What do them finals losses do for you, mate? You've just mentioned the academy final loss to Wigan. You were, you were there on the day when they lost the Challenge Cup final to Warrington. Do you take more from a loss than from a win? I think at academy level, it was it was a bit different, really, um, because we were massive underdogs. We were at Wembley. I think we were massive favourites. Wigan had a right team, and we was almost like, oh, we've done well to get here. And obviously, we, we fancied ourselves to win. I'm not, not going to say that we, it was just like a uh, a toss-off game. It was it was still massive for us. But with being favourites at Wembley and, and the past years that had gone by, losing to Catalan in the semi-finals when they won it and then losing to Warrington in the in the grand in the semi-finals to get to the grand final like there was just so much pressure built upon the squad eventually of like they're never going to get over this big big game can't handle the pressure and stuff like this because the next week we rolled out and I think we absolutely oh no we beat Cass 4-0 but then we go and slap someone the next week 44-0 so it was like oh they can't get over this big game pressure and stuff like that so to get over that at the end of the year was just massive and it's kicked us on, really. Looking at that grand final, obviously, Salford were huge underdogs and came out of nowhere that season, mate. What what the St. Helens as a club do to kind of, when they're coming up to a final like that, it's not like they're playing like a Leeds or a Wigan or a Warrington where they're kind of on their level. I'm, I'm, I'm 100% sure they don't get cocky about it, but is there a different kind of build-up to a game where they're playing such underdogs? Uh, I think, I reckon there might have been a case for it if we'd have just won like the last two years. So like say we'd have won, beat Wigan, then Wigan again and then played Salford this year. You'd almost, you know, yeah, we should, we should do this. But because we'd had so much backlog of disappointment and just there was no even slight bit of complacency. 
we were just completely focused on the job. Everyone was smashing seven bells out of each other in training and training the house down, making sure they was in the in the app for the for the game. And when it comes to game day, uh, like you could just see when they was walking in the lads and that. No matter how big of an atmosphere, there was there was no other result coming out of that that game. Uh, I remember sitting down in the stand watching us first kick off. Absolutely nailed him for the first four tackles and they knocked on. Uh, I think I turned to uh, like Josh Eves and a couple of young lads and said, "Yeah, we, we're going to win this. We're going to batter these." Uh, I was that confident, and thankfully, thankfully, I weren't wrong. What What did you feel of the atmosphere at Old Trafford? Did you feel like it was something that you wanted to play in in the future? Yeah, one hundred percent. I've watched Wigan there a couple of times, albeit on the t- TV sometimes. But you can, you can just feel it's electric, and I got a little bit of a taste of that at Wembley this year. And obviously, I didn't get that at the Grand Final last year. But they're the games that everyone wants to play in when it comes to game week and you're in them games, the chat's all about just enjoy it. Like, you don't, these don't come around all that often. Um, so, yeah, hopefully this year we get there again and I get to experience Old Trafford ram, ram to the rafters for the first time. It looks like you'd definitely be, be up there, mate, as favourites. But just scaling back another year, 2020 comes in, you know, the whole world goes to a standstill. The unimaginable happens when the pandemic hits. What What do you remember about that that initial point of, of COVID? Not professionally, but like personally as well. Yeah, no, I think this this will sound a bit stupid really, but personally COVID came at the perfect time for me. Um, I'd started every single game in, in Super League that year and I reckon I played well in one of them. Um, I remember last we was the last game before we got shut down against Cass and we got pumped all over the park and everyone was just in dismay and like everyone was asking questions of each other and of ourselves more importantly. Um, so when it hit, um, it was a good good time for me and I reckon for a few of the lads just get back to the drawing board, uh, get out on our own and just, just work hard at, at home as best as we could and give ourselves an advantage when we came back. Do you think that kind of dip in form coincides with kind of Holbrook leaving? I think there's 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 that maybe, maybe adapting to a new coach. But then we came back and then we, I think we went on like a 10-game run of getting, not getting beaten. Uh, so I think that nullifies that. I think it was more just the amount of fatigue wow. and maybe release from winning the grand final the year before. I think, like I said, there was so much build-up in, in them games. Just to get over the line, no matter it, how we got over the line, was massive. Then lads went off and played internationals. I don't know, was it was it GB that year where all the lads went to GB? So they were travelling all over the place. I think there was just so much fatigue set in for all, all the lads that um, maybe that had something to do with it. And probably the teams we, just, we played on the day were just better than us. I remember playing at Cass and like, that was like my first time playing at the jungle. And I was like, what the hell is this? We're going to, these, they absolutely came after us and, their forwards ran all over our forwards and every time they spread it wide to our outside backs, it just felt like I couldn't touch them. So maybe there was just a bit of complacency, maybe a bit of fatigue and maybe just them teams being that good on the day. Kind of your, one of your first years kind of playing first grade regularly then, 2020, kind of the weirdness of not having fans in, a kind of different playing schedule, all this happening when you're kind of 19. So what are you making of that throughout the season as well? Yeah, again, like... Uh, it probably sounds a bit weird, but having the fans not there was tough for us in a way. But for me, coming back, obviously, I was questioning myself after a couple of poor performances. 
Um, so not having fans there and just concentrating solely on my game and not having anything regarding atmosphere or anything, maybe just feeling like a training session where I've been training well at, at Saints all my time. Maybe it helped me a little bit uh, just to find my feet in Super League. Um, I remember coming back against OKR, playing on the wing, I scored two and I just I sort of thought, mm, it's, it's not it's not as bad as I, I was making out in my head this. It's, it's not as hard as I thought. Obviously, it's hard, but like I was... When I was playing before lockdown, I was thinking like the worst case scenario and everything. And I sort of got my feet on the ground, had a good game against Lokar and just kicked on from there and cemented a spot for the rest of the year. Jamie mentioned obviously Justin Holbrook moving on then, but Christian Wolf came in. So what was that kind of like that change in the guard and kind of what's the different key differences between the two if there are an awful lot of working underneath them? Yeah, that's my first real ever transition of a coach. Um Obviously, Justin was massive for me, giving me my debut, giving me, giving me a lot of appearances throughout the this following season when we first won it. So I'll forever be in debt with him. But when Wolfie's coming, he's he showed me a lot of a lot of I'm trying to think of the word. No, well, he's just looked after me really. He's been really good for me and uh, obviously he's kept kept us under wraps with, with winning trophies and stuff along them lines, but I won't say there's much of a difference, really. Um, they both just want us to play simple rugby, do the right things on and off the pitch and be professional. And that's what we, we are. And I think as a squad, we we didn't really need to change anything. After the last couple of years we've had, we've been been on fire. So uh, it was more of just the same thing, really. Are you starting to kind of feel really part of the squad during that 2020, or at least kind of the back end of the season, once you kind of settled in a bit more? Yeah, definitely after lockdown. Um, I felt like I said, I found my feet. And although I didn't nail down a position as such, I was still always in the question of he's he's going to play this week. So um, I got a bit fortunate personally with like injuries. I know obviously we don't want any injuries or anything, but he gave me a shot. And I, f- I feel like I was always going to, I was always first in line and he was giving me my chances. And like I said, as I'm in depth for Justin, but I'll always be in depth for Wolfie and having so much faith with me. and and, and sticking by me through all the tough times that I had at the start of the year. Talking about kind of incomings in 2020, partway through the season, James Graham comes back to St Helens. You obviously name-checked him a, a bit earlier, but what's that like having a, a figure like him coming into the club then for you know most of the season at least? Yeah, definitely. Um, obviously, back end of his career, and he, we always knew that he was probably going to have to manage his game time, but he got thrown in at the deep end first game after lockdown, straight back in against Catherine and absolutely tore it up. He was like having another coach around the place almost with him and Robs on the uh, on the team sheet each week. It was like he was playing with your coaches um, as well as playing with two absolute legends and quality players. So uh, I think I think with Jammers coming back in, the input he had on the team and ju- just the voice of having such a legend propelled us to the next level really in what we needed and he, he almost, like I said, the lack of atmosphere. Jammer almost brought that atmosphere on his own on the pitch uh, with his how loud he was and how vocal he was with all the players. Yeah, you knew he was in a game when Jammer was playing, and he, he was probably the perfect signing for the club. You remember much of kind of watching him and seeing him playing games when you were younger? Yeah, not so much really. Um, I can. Re- I always remember everyone talking about how good he was, and I've seen games of him in the NRL. Obviously, a standout moment: the Bulldogs' uh, South final, where first tackle him and Sam Sam Burgess absolutely smash into each other. 
So I obviously knew he was going to be a face competitor coming back over here, uh, back over to St. Helens and I knew he was a legend, but I didn't realise how much impact he'd have on our team and obviously he did and we got to send him off in the perfect way. Yeah, and kind of jumping towards the, the end, or at the end of the 2020 season then, this time a year later, you are involved in the grand final, very involved, which we'll get on to, but you know, what's that like this time being a part of it, being in the squad to start with and I know it's obviously a bit different. It's not Old Trafford and there's kind of not a crowd about, but what's that occasion like for you? Yeah, it was massive. Um, different, like you said, to what I have probably imagined it growing up. Uh, but there was still a lot of emphasis on what, what what job was at hand and how we needed to go about winning it and what we had to do to win it. Uh, I think probably two, three weeks before the final started, we got pumped. Well, not pumped, but... We got we got handed a game to us by um, Wigan, which secured them the league lead this year almost, and uh, we saw the the kick up the backside that we probably needed a little bit. Um, so going into the semi final against Catalan at home, no fans, like you said, but I still felt the nerves. We're still nervous, but um, we we went on and put a right show on again, and we, we felt like we was always going to be there and thereabouts in the final, and the experience. Albeit without fans, was still incredible. Do you remember a lot about uh, kind of north to seventy nine minutes of that game? Then um, I always just remember keeping my eye on on Bevan French. Really, I chiming out the back, and every time he got the ball, we just thinking about just going tackling him instead of anyone else. That was his main danger of him just running the ball. Um, he's so talented and so quick on his feet that he was always going to be their danger man. Um, but like, like I said, it's, it was a bit surreal being there. And like every other game, it, once you've got a game wrapped up, it sort of drifts by. But that game was just like a click of the fingers and it were done. Um, but it was special, especially how it ended. Yeah, and there's obviously one massive moment which kind of remembered for already. And Jamie will attest that during uni, I earned the nickname of the King of Huddersfield. But for this moment... You earned yourself the nickname of the King of St. Helens. So walk us through that moment from, you know, Tommy dropping the goal, why you kind of chased it so hard, what's going through your head as it hits the post and then you managed to dot it down as well. Yeah, well, I think we have to start when we give the penalty away and Hardacre had a kick from about 50 out, bit to the left to win it. And I, just, I remember just like think, praying that he was going to miss. I think that's the only time in the game where, like when you ask not 79 minutes, I can't remember a thing. And then two minutes, just like clear as day. I just remember thinking, I pray he misses, pray he misses. And then Johnny caught the ball. And I knew he'd missed then because Johnny was to the left of the post, legged it upfield. And I just remember seeing Tommy drop back off his wing, coming back. And I just thought, right, I'm getting on my bike here. I know he's going to be close. Didn't think he was going to be that close. I did hit the post and fall to me. But I knew I had to be in the frame in case he even scuffed it. You know what I mean? It could have just absolutely flipped off his boot and landed straight in my hands 20 metres in front of the stick. So instead it hit the post and I just remember seeing Bevan hesitate, accelerated, ball bounced perfect, could have bounced anyway, bounced straight into my arms and like the rest is history really. I kind of wrote it better, better if I wrote it the night before in my book. It was perfect. You realise that you, you're literally going to be telling that story every time you have an interview for the next 30, 40, 50 years. <laughs> yeah, no, I've, I've told it a fair few times now. It's it's pretty rehearsed, so 
but like I said, I, I don't mind. It brings back so many good memories and things that I'll cherish forever, really. To make that memory at such a young age as well, and like you said, your first full proper season with the first team, you know, it's almost like Jonathan Thurston at the NRL Grand Final in 2015 or, you know, Sergio Aguero at football, like you've mentioned yourself previously. But, like, at that moment in time, did you have any sort of feeling of, of the impact it would have? I knew it was a big moment um, when when um, it came up on the big screen, try. I knew it was a big moment. Obviously, we just won the grand final and it was against Wigan. But like you said, I don't think I probably recognised how big it would have been. Um, my phone was absolutely bonkers for the next three days after. Not that I went on it all that much, with the amount of the ale I sucked. But um, yeah, I couldn't get on anything. My phone was half broke because of all the messages and all the tweets and stuff. Uh, but no, it's pretty special. And like you said, I, I like referring it to the Aguero moment. I, I tweeted it straight after and uh, got a bit of backlash from it. And I think everyone, every Saints fan enjoyed it. So, Mate, it needs to be the Wellsby moment now. Forget Aguero, it needs to be the Wellsby moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I don't think I can bring myself to say that really. I, I still like calling it the Aguero moment. Obviously, kind of thinking of almost like the butterfly effect of... Um, I was going to say, it would it have been even much better with fans in the stadium, but it's almost the case of sometimes if fans were there, you might not have had that moment. But how do you feel about that? Yeah, well, I always say this, like I've been told many times, well, if there was fans there and it was at Old Trafford, you, you're probably in real way by the time you've put the ball down there because maybe goals are that short. So there's always that question that's thrown up. But yeah, that is probably my only regret. If the KCOM was full of Saints fans and that end was full of Saints fans, uh, it'd have been pretty special. But there's also the argument of if there was Saints fans there, I don't spend that moment with with the likes of James Bentley, who was first in, and then Zeb and Riggs and Robes, who all piled in. And it, maybe it made it that that little bit more special, just being with 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 the players instead of the fans on a personal level especially with Jammer being his last game and stuff like that. Um, but no, I, I do wish there was fans there and that, that's my only real regret, regret. What have you done with your medal? Is it something you kind of collect or is it just in kind of a cupboard somewhere? No, yeah, that's, the rings aren't they, at the grand final, so oh, you get a ring. Yeah. yeah, I got two. I've got, I got a 2019 ring, um, 2019 ring, 2020 ring, and then got a league, two league leader shields ring uh, medals and then a Wembley medal now so they're all stocked up on my mum and dad's side downstairs all of that at the age of 20 mate there's people who go through a full career and don't even touch anything like that it's incredible well I've had a laugh we've had, I've had a laugh with the likes of Kyle Amar and Robes and uh, the, Mara always says uh, well Robes did that came in won everything and then he's not had a trophy for 13 years so don't be sleeping on it <laughs> <laughs> You look at the likes of James Roby and, you know, Paul Wellens in the past is obviously now in the backroom staff. Pure St. Ellen's legends have been there forever. Is that something you've got an eye on or obviously not putting words in your mouth, but would you maybe want to look at the NRL sometime in the future? To be honest, I've never really put any thought into moving anywhere else at the moment. Obviously, I've just signed a new three-year deal at Saints. Um, I've loved every moment I've had at Saints. Uh, love everyone I've worked with and I've not got any regrets so far. Um, obviously, you can never say never to anything, really. Uh, but at, at, at the time being, my sole, sole 
purposes to be at Saints. And I feel as though there's many more good things for, for, for us as a team to come out yet. What's the most peculiar situation someone's brought up that grand final in? Have you been in like a really random club or walking down the street and someone shouted something at you? Have you had that moment yet? No, not really, because, well, obviously, I went on I went on holiday, managed to get away, and then we was pretty much straight back into pre-season with it being in November, the grand final. So we had to pretty short turnaround, got back in. And ever since we've been back in training, we've been on pretty pretty deep lockdown as, as a team. We've all made the decision that we can't really go anywhere in case we bring COVID into camp. The only real time that we've had any anything outside of rugby together is going for a coffee and then Wembley. Um, so no, I've not really had that that moment. Um, but uh, like I said, I don't regret anything. I won't change anything. Um, I probably would have changed, if I did change it. Change the course of history. So I'm happy the way it is. It's not a bad regret to have that there's no fans when you score the kind of winning try in a grand final, mate. So um, on to kind of 2021 then. So you've had a lot of success in 2020, but where do yourself and the club kind of find that hunger to go again and? hunt down the trophies again and look for more success on the back of a decent year in itself? I think, like, yeah, it's tough, isn't it? Um, obviously, last year we didn't get off to the greatest of starts. So we had a point to prove when we came back. I think that's what was so influential about the lockdown. It was just like the reset button was pressed. Whereas this year, we were short of pre-season, short of turnaround. No, no massive changes to the squad and in like key positions of Ben Barber or anything like that. Um, so we've pretty much a similar team, but the younger, I reckon it's just chasing chasing that three-peat. I think it's a very rare thing. I think it's only Leeds who have done it. Um, and look at the likes of their team that was in that team, Kevin Simfield, Jamie Peacock, the list goes on on it, special players. So all us and all the playing squad and the staff want to be remembered for winning three in a row and, you can say that there's been great teams over the years. So like Wigan's had a, a very good spell of winning trophies and Warrington with a Challenge Cup, but they've never, none, none of them have got managed to do it three in a row. So I think if we can manage to do that this year, it'll be very special and a massive thing for the club and the playing group. How big an emphasis was there placed on kind of ending the, the Challenge Cup draw as well then? It's been a, a fair few years before you won it again this year. Yeah, definitely. Um, I don't think myself realised how big of a moment the Challenge Cup win was until we got on that open top, top bus and you're flying around the town and everywhere you go, the streets are filled with fans. I think it almost takes you back a bit. Obviously, at that point, the, the crowds still weren't full. Um, so Wembley was still electric and it was red hot. So um, it was still a special day, but... I think when you when we got back and we'd sort of stopped drinking beer and we were sat on that bus looking around, we was like, oh, yeah, that was massive, that. Um, and it just shows how, how powerful the cup is and how big of a thing it is for rugby league and um, how well it does for all the clubs around around the country. Jamie was one of those few making all the noise, so him to thank for the atmosphere. And so in that game, you're involved in one of the big moments again, you know, making a, a decent little run when uh, Tommy Makinson went over to... Again, what are your kind of memories of that on-field experience and, you know, winning it and the final whistle going and whatnot? Yeah, well, I, I came on in the in the middle, uh, came on at the same time as Iggy Parsi, and he made a real impact. Uh, but like I said, I came on in the middle playing like a little ball, playing 13. 
I think we had we had two sets of the ball and then about 20 sets of defending on our own line. And I remember going back in the sheds, absolutely gasping for a knackered, not used to playing in the middle. And uh, Wolfie came up and went, oh, T.O.'s no good, you're going to go on at half now. And I just remember thinking in the back of me, thank God for that. She would have left me out there for another 20 minutes. I don't think I'd have walked off the field. Uh, so I went on at half and... Yeah, that, that was one of them moments where everything just fell perfect. I mean, the ball to Cootie was a bit of a dead ball for myself and I thought I'd just take the tackle, managed to flick the ball out on the floor and every time almost stood still as well as all their players. Just managed to skim, go on the outside of Truman and double pumped it to turn and Turner. Uh, and as soon as I got the ball to Kevy in his hands, I knew we'd scored. I, I could have almost not even looked. I knew Kevy had the skill to get it to Tommy and he's such a clutch player that it was always going to come off and what a finish right in front of all the Cath fans uh, thankfully it went at the jungle else I might have copped something on the back of the head but uh, no it was a very special moment you must have some collection of pictures for your Instagram of all these big moments and trophy celebrations mate very envious yeah no some good good pictures very good pictures some funny ones on there as well from the, the celebrations afterwards yeah I saw a few of them I think on uh, Tommy Makerson's from the bus and whatnot looked like a, a pretty <laughs> decent night out or Maybe a few yeah. nights out, maybe. Yeah, recreating the spider from when Longy and all, all, all Leon Price and that one, that was funny. That it was a good bus journey home, and uh, especially when we got back to see all our families and stuff like that. Obviously, um, for myself, my mum and dad and girlfriend couldn't couldn't get into the following uh, the previous grand final, so to have them there at Wembley on such a massive occasion for the club was extra special. Awesome, man. Kind of bouncing back into this season again and you know, the kind of scheduling and fixtures flipping around and teams on kind of a different game is played and stuff. Has, has that been difficult to be a part of or is it something that, you know, just passes you by and you just play your games as and when they come? Yeah, no. Um, yeah, Missing games is tough, but like you said, just got to keep bouncing into each game and each game week as they come along. You can't really, in this sport, take things for granted and I think we got a good reminder of that at the Magic Weekend this year. I think we had it, thought we had it wrapped up and got it sprung upon us. But like I said, when we, we had that last year against Wigan, it spurred us on and made us realise like we weren't head and shoulders above everyone. Uh, and we weren't, we weren't unbreakable or anything along them lines. We're not superhuman. So uh, them things can happen to, to teams and we're, we're, not, we're not unbreakable. So... I think it's a good reminder for us and every game that we've played has had a lesson learned and we're ready for a big end to the season now. Did that hurt a lot losing out on the, the League Leaders' Shield then this season? Is that you know a trophy that the club places emphasis on or obviously the, the grand final's the big one? Yeah, I think for everyone, the, the grand final's always going to be the big one but with the team, team that we've had for the last couple of years, obviously we've not won it for the last two years now. Um, I, th I think... It's disappointing when we don't go and win that. Um, we pride ourselves on getting results every single week and being the best team in the comp. And honestly, I don't, th I don't think there's enough emphasis on the Super League, uh, the League Leaders Shield. Um, I think Catalan should get a lot more emphasis, and they will do for that. Um, if they don't go on and win the grand final now, it probably won't be remembered that they won the League Leaders Shield. You know what I mean? So. Um, and like if that was if the Magic Weekend game had more emphasis on it being the league leaders decider, then who knows? It could be massive for the sport. But it's all if buts and maybe's really. But um, like you said, no, it is important for us as a club. Um, 
and we're very disappointed not to win it, but we've got to turn our focus now to the back end of the year. What do you kind of make of Catalans then over the last few years? It obviously must be good for the game to have a French club performing so well and winning a bit of silverware now as well. Yeah, definitely. They've been on the march, haven't they? They've won the Challenge Cup now. They've got the league leaders and all they need is the GF now to have the lot. So, uh, yeah, they're a team on the march. They've got some really exciting French talent coming through, which I think is probably the biggest thing for the sport. And Arthur and Marg and Matthew Laguerre and people like that, Constantine, Lecam and stuff like that, players that I've played against throughout the academy who I always knew was good enough to make the level. It was just whether they got the opportunity and Steve McNamara has given them the opportunity to come up and show what they're worth. But it's not just them, is it? It's obviously got James Maloney, who's moving on at the end of the year. He'll want to end on a high. And Sam Tompkins, who's been back to his brilliant self from what I can remember as a kid, uh, just being an absolute maverick on the ball and just seems to have found, found his form for Catalan. And it's great to see. Sticking with the kind of international flavour then and you're called into the England squad head of the Combined Nations All-Stars game I think when Johnny Lomax picked up an injury so didn't play in that one but what's your kind of ambitions with the national team and, and what was it like that also you fought some kind of the World Cup getting postponed this year as well so I imagine that was a target Yeah, no, definitely um, at the start of the year I wouldn't have ever even thought about being in the England setup other than the Knights really I got called into that last year and we were meant to play a game but COVID it was uh, so I was back in that squad this year and then I just got a phone call out of nowhere again from Wayne just saying Johnny's gone down struggling with an injury uh, are you alright to come in um, I don't think you'll play but you'll be in and around the squad it's good experience for yourself which it was um, got to meet all the boys and I think that's probably the toughest bit out of the way done um, so when I next go back in hopefully that it's it's not not a shock to the system uh, and yeah, like I said, it was a great experience. I managed to warm up with all the boys and unfortunately they didn't get the win. But again, I, I spoke about it before, uh, getting your younger players exposure to um, high-end Super League games. It's the same in international. The more international games you play, the better it's going to be. Um, obviously, against Australia and New Zealand, it's going to be a different kettle of fish, but it's still pulling on an English shirt and playing with people that you're not used to at the end of the day. So, the more we can do that, the better. And I think it's better for the game as well. The more exposure uh, the international game gets. I mean, you look at Rugby Union and what they do with their international game. It's bigger than the Super League and NRL, where it's not 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 the case in, in Rugby League. Looking, we've got the last couple of questions now, Jack. Just, just looking into 2022, mate, the likes of Curtis Sirenin and Joey Lusick coming to St. Helens are, are huge, huge signings, especially um, them two. Just, just big in the pack, big players. Obviously, Joe Lussick's played Super League before. What influence do you think they'll have on the squad? Uh, obviously, I've not. I don't think Sirin has been playing very much. I think he's been a bit injury prone. But I know from all accounts, if he can get himself fit and get himself into the team, he's going to be a real handful. Uh, I've seen clips of him and bits and bobs of him from the NRL, and he looks like a big bloke, and he looks like he's hard to handle when he gets going. So. Uh, I'm looking forward to having him join up and obviously we all know what Joey Lussett can do. He, he's, he's dynamic out and on. Um, probably brings something. The only thing that Robes has sort of lost over the last couple of years is just that bit of, bit of leg speed out and on. And him and Robes interchanging is going to be probably the best nine-zero nine, nine in the league. Um, obviously helps Robes through the back end of his career and we'll, 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 we'll miss Robes when he's done next year. But 
uh, the really good recruit in Joey Lossack. Yeah, I think he'll be there for a long, long time, mate. It looks very, a very dominant player. Um, when, when Jed is usually on the podcast, Jack, and he's not got COVID and struggling at home in bed, um, he likes to ask his interview. He acts, likes to ask his, his standard interview questions of the best players he's played with and the best players you've played against. But because you're still a young lad, I'm going to tweak it slightly and ask which player would you love to see play with yourself at St. Helens and which player would you love to play against in the future that you haven't already? Oh, uh, to play against, well, you, I'd probably say, well, I've already played. I was going to say James Tedesco, but I've played against him in the World Club Challenge. I'll go Tommy T, uh, Tommy, Tur- Tommy Turbo. Um, he's probably not probably not the best player to play against because uh, of how good he is, but just to be on the same field as him would be pretty special. And to play with, I'd probably go with a pass player, pass player in Cooper Cronk, how special he is. Superb answers, mate. Just last but not least, mate, what hobbies What, what hobbies do you have? What does Jack Wells be like to do outside of rugby league? I know your life is in encompassed within rugby league, but what do you like to do outside of it? So like I said, I like getting down to watch watch Latics play football. It's always an highlight on a Saturday. And then fishing, really. Fishing's my other one. Um, got a couple of members on some different waters and get get out get out with the rods and chill out, really. Uh, take, a, take a back seat instead of playing rugby and stuff like that. Uh, gives you a different viewpoint on things and stuff like that. From the madness of rugby league to fishing, it's totally different. So, yeah, I enjoy that bit of, it, bit of life. I've got to say, mate, since we started this podcast, we've had kind of retired, experienced stars. We've had lads who on who are at the latter end of the career, people who are, who are banging the peak. But you're the first we've had on who are kind of kind of these young whiz kids, 19, 20-year-old lads and, and just starting the career. And you're, you're a model professional, mate, whether it's down to yourself or St. Helens as a club. Um, you should be really proud of yourself and you, you've got a top, top career coming up ahead of you, mate. And uh, thank you for coming on and sharing your life so far. And hopefully we can have you on again sometime in the future. No worries, pal. Brilliant. Really enjoyed my time on here. So thanks very much for having me. Thank you very much, Jack. Thank you very much, Woody, again, for joining us on Free Blokes and Rugby Podcast episode 110. Head on over to all our social media pages where you'll find a variety of content which will hopefully pique your interest. Also, give us a rating on all our podcasting platforms, if possible, please. Uh, we're available on all podcasting platforms and keep an eye out for any future podcasts or interviews. We, on, in our archive, we've got Jack's teammate, Tommy Makinson. We've got Zeb Taylor, who Jack played with last year as well. We've just released the likes of Reese Lynn and Joe Philbin. We've got Tom Johnson, Barry McDermott, Adrian Molly, Emily Rudge, Jodie Cunningham, and much, much more. We've got a right catalogue on there as well. Once again, Jack, thank you very much for joining us, and we'll catch everyone down the road.